This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Exodus 7:21, it says, the fish that was in the river died when Moses turned the water into blood, and the river stank, and by the way, if you're not familiar with that, you come for the Passover, and we'll be talking about that. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. They also turned water into blood. And not only the water, but they turned frogs. It says in Exodus 8, Exodus 8 7, Exodus chapter 8, verse 7, the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. So they were doing everything that, 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 that Moses could do, except they ran into a roadblock when it came to the lice. I don't know, somehow they couldn't get the right magicians, the right demons, whatever. But anyways, in chapters, in Exodus 8.18, Exodus 8.18, it says, the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So, so anyway, so, so that was just one, okay, never mind. So the magicians were the group and they, they were brought in by Pharaoh. Now, there's a second, so can you picture this thing? I mean, this is just really something going on with all this, like it's like a circus of all these magicians doing all these things. And he brings in a second group that's assembled there for Pharaoh. They're called the wise men. These are the wise men. These are the philosophers in Egypt, and they're the men who are known for possessing all kinds of hidden knowledge, you know, all kinds of secrets. So there's this large group of, of magicians, and they're doing all their specialties and fire, and everything's happening out. There's a lot of action, a lot of drama, and then there's some magicians over there, and they're going, they're kind of thinking their way through this, see? Okay, so everyone now is gathered together, and the magicians and the wise men, and they're all there, and they're carefully listening to Pharaoh's dream. And then they all go, they, here's the dream, they all go into action, like I said, they're kind of like the, the, the prophets of Baal, on Mount Carmel during Elijah's time, when he, when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal, bring down fire on the offer, offering fire from Baal. And it says there in 1 Kings 18.26, 1 Kings 18.26, they took the bullock, 
with was given them. They dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there's no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which they made. A few verses down in 1 Kings 18, 28, 1 Kings 18, 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. I mean, we can imagine something similar going on here with these Egyptians and these wise men as they're listening to Pharaoh's dreams and they're trying and they're swinging into action and the magicians are making the fire blaze, the smoke is rising, the magic dust is flying, the charms are going, the music is playing, the dances are going, they're cutting these herbs and they have all these magic potions and then, as I said, and the, and the wise men are thinking real hard over there. And so there's Pharaoh and he's watching all this array of activity going on, and he's in a state of painful frustration because his spirit is troubled. And finally comes the result in verse 8, Genesis 41, 8, verse 8. There was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. So they all come up empty, zero. And one by one, we can imagine, they apologize to Pharaoh. And one by one, as they've not been able to get any assistance from any of their familiar spirits, from any of their demons to interpret the dream, they hang their head in shame. Now, what's happening here? Well, in the unseen world, we can imagine how every one of those demons that showed up there in Egypt to help had an angel standing next to him and said, don't you dare open your mouth to interpret that dream. But in the seen world, all these magicians and these wise men had to admit they could not interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. So the scene is very instructive for us because here's all these magicians who had all these demon-given powers, but when it came down to really helping Pharaoh when he needed it, he, they did not help him. The demons did not help him. Some people today are just really taken in by the occult and by the Ouija boards and by the fortune telling and by the psychics and by the astrology and by Kabbalah. And they're really impressed with what the Bible describes. It describes them in, 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 in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 said, it, it speaks about Satan, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness, ability to deceive, of unrighteousness in them that perish, or in them that are perishing, because they receive not the love of the truth in them that, are, that, that they might be saved. So this working of, of Satan is described as all power and signs. He's got power. Satan has power. He has power to do signs, and it's called deceivableness. It's an ability to deceive. They're called lying wonders. And there's something that's very characteristic about the group that are interested. There's something that's described about these people who are interested. It says about them that those people who are taken in by this, those people who are deceived by all these lying signs and wonders are described in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, the one we just talked about, 2 Thessalonians 2.10. They're described in them that are perishing because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So the ones who are taken in by all these satanic deceptions have made a decision in their lives to not receive the love of the truth and not be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving them, as, it's, as the Lord Jesus said, with a, with a house that's all swept and just ready for, for demons to come in. They're open to demonic deception. 
I remember some Jewish friends of mine one time who I spent a couple of days with in very intense presentation of the gospel. They were secular Jews. They were not religious at all. And and I, 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 I not that I ever come on strong, no, no. But I mean, uh, I made my case. And um, and and then the, the next time I saw them, they had gone headlong into Kabbalah. And they were talking about all kinds of miracles and, and, and everything. And now they were zealots for, for all of this. Why? Because of 2 Thessalonians 2.10. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that are that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Now, when we read in verse 8 here in Genesis 41.8, there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. It's a picture of how undependable, how unreliable the world's wisdom and philosophy is for man. It can impress, it can tantalize, but it will never, ever, ever help man where he needs it the most, like Pharaoh needing the interpretation of his dreams. It will never bring to man deliverance from the burden of sin, peace in the heart. It can't do it. Now, something now remarkable happens in this history. I mean, just picture this scene. I mean, here's the hundreds of magicians and philosophers of Egypt, and they've got all their, their incantations and their enchantments, and the smoke's still in the air, and the odor is still there from the herbs, and, and they're all standing there ashamed, and they've got their heads hanging down, and, and there's Pharaoh in his continued state of painful frustration, realizing how wrong and how unsuccessful is all this Egyptian religion and philosophy. It failed him when he needed it the most. This is the scene right now. Now, way off in a corner, way off in a corner, stands the chief butler. He's supposed to just serve wine. He has nothing to do with the mystical, nothing to do with the magic, nothing to do with the, with the, with the wisdom and, and the philosophy. But the chief butler now, all of a sudden in this room, falls under a deep conviction of sin. He feels terrible. And the chief butler, he's under this burden of shame and guilt as he thinks of his sin. When it says, I remember my faults, it's not the word faults, it's het, it's sins, sins. He says, he, he says, sin of not keeping my promise to Joseph of telling Pharaoh about Joseph. And the butler now is looking at all these failed magicians and the wise men and Pharaoh with his, with, in, in, with his spirit troubled. And the butler now thinks to himself, how much grief, how much trouble would have been saved if I had not forgotten to tell Pharaoh about Joseph? So the butler decides at that point, right there, he's going to make it right. He's going to confess his sin to Pharaoh. So the butler now steps up and he announces, we can imagine the shock, the scandal of it all. Who is he? But he says there in verse 9, then spake the butler, then spake the butler, right then, with all those Egyptians and wise men in the room. Then spake the butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults. I do remember my sin this day. Now, the butler, now in these verses 10 through 11, he just recounts the dreams that he and the baker had dreamed and how they were in the same dilemma as Pharaoh down there in the prison. Then they felt the same troubled spirit with no one to interpret. And then he said, ah, but there was a person. And he was successfully interpreted our dreams. Now, what's so interesting here is when he presents 
Joseph, how he introduces Joseph, how he describes Joseph in verse 12. And this is our verse, really to focus in on. There's a key verse here in verse 12, because he says, there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guards. We told him, and he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, he did interpret. Now, just think of Pharaoh. He's got all these people, the most prestigious magicians, the highest philosophers in Egypt. They're standing before him, and now he's got this description of the dream interpreter. That, that Here's how it sounds to him. I mean, <laughs> Pharaoh looks at all the magicians and all the wise men. In essence, he hears the, the, the butler, he hears the butler say something like this. Pharaoh, instead of all these aged, wisest men in Egypt before you now, may I present to you a young man. Okay? Pharaoh, instead of all these pure-blooded Egyptians who could probably trace their lineage back to Ra, the sun god, from the finest families here in Egypt before you, may I present to you a Hebrew, one of the people from the abominable races on earth. Pharaoh, instead of all these men with their distinction, with their honor, and with their power in Egypt, may I present to you a prisoner in the worst prison in Egypt. <laughs> Pharaoh, instead of these free men here, may I present to you a slave? And so Pharaoh, he said, Pharaoh, instead of all these men who were not successful in interpreting your dreams, may I present to you, verse 12, a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard, and we told him our, our dream and he interpreted and so forth. Now at this point, can you imagine how hard this is for Pharaoh? Can you see, because we've just talked about how Joseph had his challenge of bitterness that he had to overcome. Can you see how hard this is for Pharaoh, for him to overcome? He's got to swallow a big pill of pride. Pharaoh has to swallow in front of all these men if he's going to call up Joseph, which he did. But this is how God operates. This is how God operates. God operates according to the principle of 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 1 Peter 5.5 5 explains God's principle. God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God's in the business of humbling the proud. God's best gifts are on his lowest shelves, and you got to bend down to, to, to get them. This is like Naaman. This is like Naaman. We're, 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 this is like the history of Naaman, the Syrian, the great Syrian general who was a leper. And his history is given to us in 2 Kings 5, 2 Kings 5. And in 2 Kings 5, in verse 9, he's coming now. Naaman is coming to, to the, the prophet that he's heard about, Elisha, and Elisha is going to cure you of your leprosy. Okay, well, wait till he gets a load of, uh, of uh, he doesn't know how important I am. So anyway, it says there in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot, stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger unto him. What? You know, saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. What? The muddy Jordan River? You've got to be kidding. But Naaman was wroth. He was angry. And he went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. Not send, who is this guy? And stand and call on the name of his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Ah, are not Arbana and Farpar 
rivers of Damascus better than all this, all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He was really angry. And his servants came near and spake unto him, saying, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Why? Why did Naaman at first storm out in a rage and not dip himself as he was told to do in the muddy Jordan River? Pride. It was because of his pride. He was proud. Why did Naaman repent and return and dip himself seven times in the, in the muddy Jordan River? Why did he do that? Because he was a leper. He was still a leper. He came a leper. He was still a leper. And he couldn't find a cure for his leprosy. His leprosy drove him to obey Elisha. Why did Pharaoh listen to this butler tell him about the young man, the Hebrew, the prisoner, the slave, the servant? Because Pharaoh had the, it was troubled spirit. He had this uninterpreted dreams. His spirit was troubled. His troubled spirit drove him to accept Joseph. See, Pharaoh had to overcome his pride in order to get help from Joseph. And the same is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, there are those, many, who just follow the course of Isaiah 53.2. Isaiah 53.2 gives you the response to what they said about the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says in Isaiah 53.2, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised. He's rejected a man, a man of sorrows and acquainted grief. Grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He's despised. We esteemed him not. We, we gave him no value. We gave him no rating. But there, and, and so, but there, and they were just like the ones in John 6, John 6.42, John 6.42. They said, when they saw, when they were speaking about the Lord Jesus, they said, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he saith I came down from heaven? They're just like the ones in Mark 6.3, Mark 6.3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. They were offended at him. They were offended at him because he made himself that way. He made himself of no reputation, as it says in Philippians 2.7. Philippians 2.7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So they looked at the Lord Jesus and they said, a poor Jewish servant? Oh, no, oh, no. No, no, <laughs> this man's going to rule over us? I don't think so. And that was the reason for the response of the majority of the Jewish people in John 1.11, in John 11, where it says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Kind of an understatement. But like Pharaoh and like Naaman, there were those of a minority who were described among the Jewish people in the next verse in John 1.12. John 1.12, but... By contrast, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Naaman, don't go and dip in the river Jordan, live a leper. Pharaoh, don't call for Joseph out of the prison, go with your troubled spirit. There were those who said, I don't care, I need help. 
So just like Pharaoh, just like Naaman, they also had to get over this hurdle of the description that we're given there. There was with us a young man, a Hebrew servant to the captain of the guard. That was the case with Nathaniel. Nathaniel in John 145. Nathaniel in John 145. It says, Philip findeth Nathanael and, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets stood right, Jesus of Nazareth, the, uh, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can, it, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, it, it, you know, the slum of Tijuana, are you kidding me? Uh, is that what we're talking about here? The slum town of Nazareth. It, it, it's not, I don't want to say anything more. Anyway, G, Philip saith unto him, come and see, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, behold, in Israel, indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered him and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Nathanael ends up worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as God and king. But that's not how it started out. That's not how it started out. When Nathanael heard that the Lord was born in the slum town of Nazareth, he says, can there any good thing come out of that place, Nathanael? And the only reason that Nathanael came to the Lord Jesus was because Nathanael was troubled by looking for the Messiah that Moses and the law and the prophets did write about, and he hadn't found him yet. And so when the challenge came to him from Philip, come and see, it was pretty difficult for a person like him to do that. But when he did, because he's, he, he, he saw, oh, he is God. He is the Messiah. It's pretty difficult for people today to come to the Lord Jesus Christ when they realize you're talking about a person that was born in a barn. You're talking about a person who lived as such a poor man, he didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He was like homeless. You're talking about a person who died such a shameful death as a criminal. But the only reason that a person will come to the Lord Jesus Christ is because like Pharaoh, their spirit is troubled. And they don't care. They'll look. They'll come. They're troubled because they're afraid of the judgment of their sins. It's going to happen now or later when they die. They're troubled by the guilt of a heart that's dirty with sin. They're troubled from the turmoil and the distress and the no peace that their sins have caused. And so just like with Pharaoh, that will drive a person to the Lord Jesus Christ to make that person willing to swallow their pride. So in these two cases here, what's so interesting is that we've got two individuals both being dealt with by God. We've got Joseph and we've got Pharaoh, both having faced their challenges, bitterness and pride. And in the case of Joseph, with his word, indeed, we see him overcoming his bitterness with his children, Manasseh and Ephraim. He's overcome his bitterness. With the case of Pharaoh, he, we see here a man who is who is faced with pride and all the elect and all the elite out of here, out of, out of Israel, uh, Egypt's best is before him. But we see that because of his troubled spirit, he's willing to face, his, face it and to, to, to deny his pride and to call for this man to come up out of the prison. And then the blessings flow to both of them as a result of facing their temptation and overcoming it. And that's the lesson for us. When we face the temptation and overcoming it, overcome it, then blessing flows, and we should take encouragement tonight for Joseph did it, 
And we should take encouragement tonight from Pharaoh did it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for helping both Pharaoh and Joseph, Lord, to overcome the obstacles that face them and so that your blessing could pour to them. Help us to do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.